good morning. <clears throat> peace be with you. Peace be on you. Peace be upon you. We say in the Arabic language, Assalamu alaikum. In the Hebrew, Shalom or Shalom Aleichem. Pax Vobiscum, for any of you who may speak Latin, Pax Vobiscum. And if anyone speaks uh, ancient Egyptian, it's Mahat Hotep. Mahat Hotep. And then we could go on. Uh, Namaste, uh, go shining. We're very honored and delighted to be here with you this morning. And and I must admit that uh, I I really enjoyed the music uh, and I was delighted by the singing and I heard some voices that really inspired me. So if you'll bear with me, I'd I'd like to offer a song to start my presentation. Uh, And it's actually a benediction. Uh, And typically benedictions are used to close out religious services, not open them. But for two reasons. The word benediction means a good word. And so I'd like to open with a good word. And the second reason is I, I, I may offend someone by something that I say. I hope that I don't. I didn't come to offend anyone. But in the event that I make the mistake of offending you, I'll say the benediction at the beginning. And that, <laughs> that way, if I need to rush out, <laughs> then I'll be in good stead with you, so. So please uh, bear with me or join with me. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you give you peace and give you peace and give you peace Amen 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 God's name, merciful benefactor, merciful redeemer. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. The praise and thanks are due to God, the cherisher and sustainer of the worlds. Dear people, dear friends, it gives us great honor and uh, uh, privilege and pleasure to be able to join with you this morning uh, in this special occasion. I feel very comfortable being here with you at UUC. Uh, I've been here on numerous occasions for a variety of events. And I know your pastor, uh, Reverend Janamanchi, I know his wife. And I've had the occasion this morning to meet uh, the gentleman who himself has a very lovely voice. I sat next to him and and heard him sing the hymn, uh, Marty Pelham. So we want to very quickly this morning share some thoughts and some words with you 
and uh, I was putting my notes and comments together and trying to decide what I would say and how I could best keep to the theme and make sure that we didn't keep you here too long this morning. Uh, and I, I started out with about 15 pages of notes, and I said, well, that's really too much. So, so, so I cut it back to 12, and I said, they said 20 minutes. That's still too long. Uh, so I'm going to try my best to stick to the outline and the notes that I prepared uh, and stay on schedule. It's a wonderful day outside, even though it is, in fact, a little warm. Uh, but we should be thankful, and we must be grateful. My theme this morning is the basis of all religion is faith. The basis of all religion is faith. And in addressing this theme, I, I want to acknowledge that the reading uh, that Brother Marty uh, presented was, just, was really excellent. It was excellent. Uh, it was right on point. Uh, in fact, I really could discard my notes and just talk from uh, the themes and the comments and the subjects and uh, things that he included in that reading, the importance of, of uh, understanding that the human being is not self-sufficient, uh, that we do, in fact, have this innate yearning uh, that reaches out, that reaches out from within ourselves, that we have to be concerned about things like justice and compassion and the well-being of our brothers and sisters, our fellow human beings. You know, we live in a time, a time when, in fact, uh, we must remember to be grateful. It is indeed a time to be grateful and a time when we should practice showing and expressing our gratitude for the many things uh, that uh, we've been blessed with in our life. You know, we're here and we're talking about the heat here in St. Petersburg. As you heard, I'm a native, so I should be accustomed to it. I'm really not but I am, but I do remember when there was no air conditioning. Uh, and when, if, if you, were, you were fortunate, if you had a, 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 uh, an oscillating fan or fan that you could put in the windows, when you got in your car, you drove up and down the street without air conditioning. Uh, if it was raining, you, know, you rolled the windows up with just a little crack and the side vent so you'd get some, some circulation of air. Uh, my parents smoked when I was growing up, so if it was raining and it was smoking well, on the road, you, know, you had the humidity, but you also had the smoke that filled, that filled the car. We survived that, thank, thank the Lord. I'm grateful. <laughs> Both of them smoked. They married when they were 17 and 19, and my father was 19, my mother was 17, and, uh, and they both smoked uh, up until the latter part, uh, latter years. Uh, my father, God bless him, is dead. My mother's still alive. But I'm grateful for them, uh, and I'm grateful for the things uh, uh, that we learned and shared. I'm grateful for the theme that you've adopted for the summer, pluralistic search for truth and meaning, because we do, in fact, live in a society and in a world that is diverse, and, and it is important that we come to understand and to value and appreciate uh, that diversity. Uh, e pluribus unum, out of many, one. Uh, that is the, the motto of our country, out of unity, one. And so sometimes it appears as if we have forgotten that and we want to uh, act as if or pretend as if we're all the same. And we're not all the same. From the very outset of the country, we're not the same. From the outset of creation, we're not the same. God said had he wanted everybody to be the same, he could have made everyone the same. 
He said it is within his power to do so. But in fact, he said he made everyone different. He said he made us different races, nations, and tribes. He made men and women, you know, et cetera. He made the diversity in creation, the diversity within the, the, uh, the plant life, the, the, the animal life, et cetera. He made it all different so that we would value and appreciate those differences and on a human level uh, want to get to know each other, be attracted by those differences. Uh, I spoke uh, to a member of your congregation in German when she came up and introduced herself and I saw the smile come over her face. And so it, 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 um, I was a foreign language major amongst other things. I studied a lot of things in school. They had to kick me out, in fact. Uh, but amongst other things, I was a foreign language major, and, and so I learned to appreciate the differences in languages and cultures and traditions between people. In your seven principles, again, affirming the inherent worth and dignity of every person. Uh, in our faith, in our scripture, it says, Chad karamna bani Adam. God says that he granted and bestowed dignity upon every human being, every descendant of Adam. And when we say Adam, we know it means Adam and Eve. We don't want, don't want to leave Eve out. Adam wa Adam wa Adam and Eve. That God says he granted dignity upon every descendant of Adam or Adam and Eve. And that, descend, uh, that, that dignity is not dependent upon your station in life, it's not dependent upon our color, it's not dependent upon our race, uh, etc. You know, it is a dignity and innate worth that God has given to every human being. The thing is that we forget that sometimes, or sometimes uh, circumstances in life may overshadow that, uh, and so we lose our sense of dignity and sense of worth. No one can give you dignity, God, God has given you dignity. So it is up to us to hold on to that and to embellish it and to use our dignity to, to reflect the dignity of our fellow human beings. The importance of justice, of equity and compassion in human relations. And we have uh, verses in our scripture that says, stand firm for justice, even if it is against yourself or against your near relatives or whether they be rich or poor says that God is the one who is best able to decide affairs. Uh, and so sometimes we forget about the importance of justice uh, in our society. Uh, we, in our, again, in one of our, a part of the creed of our country, says one nation under God with liberty and justice for all. But we know that you have to fight for justice. You have to struggle for justice. Uh, and as we read about those struggles uh, around the world, throughout human history, we, we know that very often uh, these, these struggles take on an intensity and, an in, and a, uh, a character that is really disturbing. It disturbs our soul. But the truth of the matter is that you have to fight for freedom, justice, and equality. Uh, we see that happening in the world today. You know, I was born right after, the, right after World War II. Uh, and so the, 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 you know, the, the, that World War, World War I, World War II, et cetera, uh, where people, in fact, realized that uh, if they did not stand up and defend the freedoms and liberties and their rights and fight for justice, that, in fact, oppression uh, would become dominant in the land. We know that the human being is a social creature. We are physical beings. We are intellectual beings. 
but most important, we are spiritual beings. The human being is a spiritual being, and that spirit has to be nurtured, and it is nurtured by our studies, uh, it is worshipped by our, our prayers, it is nurtured by our offering to others, but it's also nurtured in this type of congregational life. So when we come together and you pray and you sing and you reach out to each other and you offer uh, sincere good wishes, uh, it helps and we glorify God, uh, then it helps to nurture our spiritual being. God has given us, the human being, the ability to engage in this free and responsible search for truth and meaning. You know, in all of this wonderful, wonderful creation, it is the human being that has free will. And so this free will allows us to search and to imagine and to explore uh, and to delve into things and to actual, actually rearrange uh, matter in God's creation. We have a conscience and a right of conscience and a right to engage in the democratic process. Uh, in our scripture, it says that matter should be decided by mutual consultation. This is in our scripture. This is a very democratic process. I mention these things because most people would not associate that with Islam based upon you know, the things that you hear and see and read or witness in, in the news every day. But there's a, a very strong democratic tradition that, again, uh, people have strayed away from. Uh, it's called shura, shura, shura bainahum, consulting matters amongst yourselves and then deciding uh, based upon uh, what uh, is determined to be the best course of action for the benefit of the whole. We believe, like as you do, that the, the, the world is a community and that we should pursue the goal of world community with peace liberty and justice for all. We share that belief in common. And I would add that uh, years ago, we had the occasion to spend a lot of time at the UUC church in St. Petersburg, uh, right uh, adjacent to Mirror Lake. And we got to know the, the senior pastor there uh, quite well during that period. And that we must respect the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. The human being, men and women, male and female, a part of creation. We're not apart from it. In fact, we were fashioned and shaped from creation. We were fashioned and shaped from it. And we need creation to sustain ourselves. And we reach out into creation. We travel around, etc. And this, this creation, this world, which is ever-expanding, is in fact interdependent. There are worlds that are yet to be discovered. There were worlds 100 years ago or 500 years ago or 1,000 years ago that at that time were not discovered. And so man's sense of our existence in creation was much more limited than it is now. But because of advance in science, technology, uh, understanding, etc., you know, we, we understand that the more we know, the more we realize that there is to know and to come to understand. So now, what, what, all, what does all of this have to do with, with our topic and our theme? Let me first give you one other bit of background. Uh, I, I'm sure you realize that uh, I'm a Muslim. How does one become a Muslim? What's the process? What do you have to do? Real simple. You make a statement in front of two or three witnesses. And that statement in the Arabic is, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. 
Ashadu an Muhammad Rasulullah. There are two parts to it. It's called a Shahadatain, and it's a testimony. And so it says, I believe that there's one divine being that's worthy of worship, Shahadu an la ilaha illallah. And I believe that Muhammad is the prophet or messenger of that di divine being, one of the prophets, right? That's it. It's a simple process. So you make that statement, and now you're a Muslim. But what happens is, by making that statement, you now have committed yourself to embark upon a process that helps to increase your knowledge and, uh, and your understanding of what it is to say you believe in a creator, in a supreme being, in a divine being, in a God, or whatever name it's called, right? To understand just what that means, and to understand the prophetic lineage, the prophetic mission of all of the prophets of God. So you make that simple statement, and now you become a student. And so you're committed to studying and learning, well, what, what, what are the implications of what I just said? How, and how do I apply that to my life? A Muslim, the word Muslim comes from salameh, salameh, which means he surrendered or he submitted. To what? To the will of God. So by definition, a person who says he is a Muslim is, means that I'm a person who's, I know I have free will. Yes, I have free will. But I've decided that I'm going to submit my will to the will of God and try to find how to please God in my life, the way I live it, how to serve God, and to serve people, serve humanity. How can you say that you love God whom you've never seen, that yet not love your human beings who you see every day? Right? So the, so the challenge is, is to find out how to live a godly, righteous life rooted in faith and how to learn how to live in peace and harmony and, and justice with your fellow human beings. Trust me, it's not easy, as we all know. Now, if you will think back with me, let your minds drift back for a few minutes, but take you back over thousands, maybe tens of thousands of years. Right? Just, just think back to the original primordial human beings. And I studied some sciences, but I don't remember all of it. We're called Homo sapiens, but Homo sapien was an evolution. Right? I, mean, there, I know there was Homo erectus, and there was Homo something else. And, right? But Homo sapien means thinking being. Thinking being. So God, at some point in his divine wisdom, gave the human being, the human element in his creation, the ability to think, to reason, to analyze, even to disagree. Remember, the rest of creation can't disagree with God's plan or his orders or his laws. So the insects, you know, the plants, I mean, oak trees grow the same way that oak trees have been growing ever since oak trees were created. Right? You, know, you take an acorn and you plant it, or even don't have to plant it. Sometimes if it, it falls on the ground, if it falls in the right spot, fertile soil, then that oak tree just by its very nature will develop. And it becomes this, this huge, wonderful uh, uh, home because an oak tree is a home. It provides shelter and abode for, much, uh, for, for many others in uh, God's creation. So Salome, he submitted. Muslim, one who has submitted. But our faith is, is based on five pillars, Bunya Islam al-Khams. The Muslim way of life is based, in, based upon five pillars. 
And those five are the, f- the first, Iman, or faith. The second, Salat, or prayer. The third, the Zakat, or charity. The fourth, Siam, or fasting. And the fifth, Hajj, or pilgrimage, pilgrimage to the Holy House. And in these principles, in which our beliefs are rooted, they provide guidance for us and they help to shape our lives. And so we try to study and understand all of them. One of the most, one of the central uh, core principles of the Muslim way of life is called Tawheed, Tawheed. And Tawheed comes from a word that means one. In fact, if you're counting in Arabic, and remember we use Arabic numerals, we used to use Roman numerals years ago, hundreds of years ago, uh, but we use Arabic numerals because of their simplicity in writing, the simplicity in, in uh, computation, etc. So if you're counting, you say wahid. One is wahid. Wahid, one. Wahid. Tawheed, you can hear it. God is called al-ahad, the one, the unique one. And so we say that there's one God. Remember, shadowan la ilaha illallah. I say that there's, I believe that there's one God, and that God is universal, that God is eternal, that God is everlasting, uh, etc. And in observing this belief in one God, if there's one God and one creator, then there's one creation. And so everything in creation, therefore, is also one. Nothing in creation is equal to God. God depends upon nothing in creation. Everything in creation depends upon God. And that, again, reinforces this, this belief that we are that we are interdependent, that we are interdependent. Now, what is faith, iman? The the word in Arabic, amana, the root word for iman, actually means faith. It also means belief, and it means trust. Right? Now, in Hebrews 11.1, it says, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Expressed another way, it means that confident assurance that something we want is going to happen. It is a certainty that what we hope for is waiting for us, even though we cannot see it ahead. The people of God, the prophets and the messengers and those who were closest to God in days of old were famous, why? because they exhibited and they practiced and they demonstrated strong faith and belief in God. When Moses, we say Musa, approached Pharaoh, he had strong faith in God. People say, man, what's wrong with you? I don't, you know, I, that's, the, that's the ruler. In fact, uh, he is God, or he thinks he's God, or he believes he's God, or the people, the ancient Egyptians believe that he is God. And you're going to confront God in human form? And Moses said, well, I believe in the God who made it possible for Moses to even be here and for ancient Egypt to rise up to be the great kingdom. And so that belief in the God, the all-powerful God, removed the fear and gave him the courage and the confidence to go forward and say, let my people go, not knowing what the outcome was going to be. 
And so we find ourselves in similar situations today that there is an innate drive and nature within us. It starts even as little children that says there's something bigger than me. There's something that's greater than I am. There's something that's more powerful than my personality or my being or my capabilities or my talent or my intellect. That's something that, that enables me to do these things. Uh, that's something that, will, that watches over me and protects me. And that belief in that something is called faith. Now, why do I ask you to think back, to let your mind drift back for thousands of years? Because thousands of years ago, you really didn't have religion. You had people who had faith. When you, when you left home and you went out to hunt, and remember, you weren't hunting little rabbits thousand years ago. You had, you had these huge creatures that you had to contend with, right? You had to try, try to escape them. And so at some point, people had to overcome their fear of the environment, the fear of the unknown, the superstition, etc., and these huge monsters, and go forward rooting, rooted in faith, rooted in faith. And so in the New Testament, it says that we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. We're called to be steadfast in faith, unshakable, unmovable. It says that we worship, and this is from the, all from the New Testament, one God, one faith, one baptism. In our scripture, the Quran, it says, we have heard the voice of one crying, saying, calling us to faith, crying out, saying, believe in the Lord, believe in God. And we have heard that call, we've listened to that cry, and we have believed we have come to faith now faith then preceded all religions and it is innate in every human being some people at some point may de deny belief in God but they never give up faith they just put their faith in something else if you didn't have faith in something trust me None of us would get up out of bed in the morning. We'd stay there with the covers pulled over our heads. You wouldn't get up. When you get on an airplane, you don't stop the pilot and say, show me your credentials. Where did you train? How many hours have you flown? What airline? How many times did you? You just get on, you, get, you have faith that this pilot knows what he's doing. <laughs> they, they tell you, if, if you want to lose your appetite, go to a food processing plant and watch how food is processed. Right? But when we eat, we don't sit there and worry about, you know, what did they do this? What, I mean, you know, obviously we, we have, all of us have some kind of dietary restriction for religious reasons, medicinal reasons, etc. But the fact of the matter is that we sit down to food that's prepared for us or served to us, and we have faith that that food will do us more good than harm, and we hope that it will do us no harm at all. But is it, is it eating itself is an act of faith. When we stand up and we, we walk around and we get in our cars, these are all acts of faith. When a child takes the first step, it is an act of faith. He falls down and says, I have faith that if I keep trying this, I'm going to master it. Right? Just think, you don't have to teach an elephant or a horse to, to, to walk. Right? I mean, they don't school, go to school to learn how to walk. I mean, their legs and limbs are a little wobbly, a little weak, but... You know, they're born, they pop out a little bit, they're on their feet and they're trying to move. So faith, dear people, is extremely important. Now, 
the point that we wanted to make in all of this is we have been, and we, and we want to wrap up with this, with these two quick comments. God says he is the creator of all of us. We're all part of the same creation. We all descended from the same original family. All of us are. In religious terms, we say Adam, Adam and Eve, that we're all descended. Science has demonstrated that. Anthropology has demonstrated Physics has demonstrated it, has demonstrated it, uh, et cetera, has demonstrated that, that we're all descended from the same human type. Genealogy, if you study genealogy, you trace it back. And, and so I think Barack Obama is related to what George Bush and Queen, Queen Elizabeth or somebody. And, and we, 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 we find these ties. These things are, 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 are reality and they're fact. But if that's the case, then how much, why is there so much strife between us? I mean, why is there so much violent conflict in the world between people? With even, sometimes within the same cultures and within the same, nat- uh, na- uh, same nature, uh, nations, or same tribes, or same villages. And what do we do about it? Which is really the, the key. What do we do about it? How can we, in fact, help to bring about this global and this world community that, uh, that uh, was mentioned in the opening comments. Well, part of it gets back to just uh, what we were talking about, the importance of standing firm on certain principles and beliefs that help us to curb an aspect of our natural makeup that causes us to forget that we are supposed to show love for one another and that we're supposed to demonstrate kindness and compassion and concern toward one another. There's a verse in our scripture that says, everyone acts according to his or her own disposition, a word in Arabic that means the disposition. It can also mean mood or temperament. So people act according to their temperament, their mood, or their disposition. So just because we know something or believe something or have committed ourselves to something, sometimes you're in a bad mood. So, you know, you, go, you want to go out and talk to your boss and ask for a raise. Uh, for a raise. We say, let me, you, I know you just came out of the office. What kind of mood is he in? Well, if he's in a bad mood, I don't think I want to go out and talk to him right now and ask, I'll wait until this, you get him in a good mood. You know, in, in, in relationships, you know, the husband wants to get the wife in a good mood. The wife wants to keep the husband in a good mood. The, the parents are struggling to keep the children in a good mood, etc. But people act according to the disposition or their temperament. And so sometimes, in, you know, we get these bad temperaments or dispositions. There are scientists in society who understand this because they've studied human nature and they manipulate it. And so, for an example, during a political campaign, they try to stir up passions and temperaments and dispositions within the people, right? I mean, a politician wants to make you dissatisfied. This is part of politics. If I'm running for office and I'm running against an incumbent, I want to make you dissatisfied with that incumbent so you say, well, let's get rid of him and let's put a skier in there. It's, just, it's, just, it's part of the process. 
If, if, if you don't happen to know either one of the candidates that's running, I'll try to think of something else to make you dissatisfied about, or upset about, or anxious about, or concerned about. All right, so it can be the economy. Uh, it can be crime and safety in the community, or what have you. Right? But I have to try to affect your disposition, your mood, your attitude, your sense of safety and security and peace and serenity. And to the extent that I can do that, then I can help to influence your behavior and your conduct. Right? And so you have demagogues, people who are called demagogues, or fanatics or extremists, and that's what they do. A demagogue or a fanatic or an extremist is one who has mastered the science, some would call it a combination of art or science, of getting people stirred up. This is get people stirred up. We get them stirred up so much that they'll go out and they'll do anything, including to their own neighbors. Right? So, dear people, we have to understand how these things work in society if, in fact, we're going to be true to our principles. We, we want to close with a short reading that talks about the importance of knowledge because for us, remember what I said, when I make the declaration, I said, well, I know there are many choices that I have as to how I might live, live out my life. And I've done some studying and I've decided that this is a path that I'm going to follow. God has offered us many paths. It says in scripture, both, both Bible and Quran, that there are gates, it says 12 gates, there are many gates by which we can enter into the city. So we have these choices. I've made a choice, and now I must acquire, pursue the knowledge that helps me understand the implications of that choice and how I live out that choice. So allow me to just close with this very quick reading. Knowledge enables its possessor to distinguish between what is forbidden and what is not. It lights the way to heaven. It is our friend in the desert, our companion in solitude, our companion when bereft of friends. Knowledge guides us to happiness. It sustains us in misery. It is our ornament in the company of friends. It serves as an armor against foes. With knowledge, the servants of God rise to the heights of goodness and noble position. They associate with the sovereigns in this world and attain the perfection of happiness in the next. No poverty is worse than ignorance. No wealth is better than intelligence. Acquire knowledge because the one who acquires it in the way of the Lord performs an act of piety. The one who speaks of knowledge praises the Lord. The one who seeks knowledge adores the Lord. The one who dispenses instruction in it bestows charity. And the one who imparts it to its fitting objects performs an act of devotion to God. So we thank you for your attention and for allowing